good morning. My name is Paul Abdallah, serve as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist alongside uh, Elliot and Kelton and Moses. What a joy it is to gather with you this morning. If you have a, a copy of God's Word this morning, would you open it to Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. You'll find Ephesians in the New Testament, right after Galatians and right before Philippians. If you don't have a Bible or if you'd like to follow along in the same translation, you can find uh, that, that black pew Bible in the, the pew pocket in front of you. And you can find Ephesians 4 on page 977. Well, this morning we are interrupting uh, our study of the book of Genesis for, Lord willing, only a week. Uh, next week, we hope Kelton will be back to conclude uh, the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis. But this morning, we're, we're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do. So usually what we do is we pick a book of the Bible, like Genesis, and we work through it sequentially, verse by verse, allowing the text each week to determine what the theme of our sermon will be. But today, this morning, we've picked a theme, and we're going to explore what the Bible, particularly, particularly Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, and see what, what the, the Word has to say about this theme. And our theme this morning actually comes out of our sermon from last week on Genesis 32 through 33. Last week we considered that God's grace produces repentance and gradual but real growth. We saw Jacob go from Jacob to Israel. And after many, many years we saw Jacob have the effect of God's marvelous grace on his life as he pursued and ultimately accomplished reconciliation with his brother Esau. And so if God's grace produces gradual but real growth, then God, in His grace, calls us to pursue godly growth. And that's where we come in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Just for some context, the author of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul. It was written likely while he was imprisoned. Written to a church which, which, which held a special place in the heart of Paul. He, he planted this church in Ephesus on his third missionary journey and spent the longest amount of time he did in any place, about three years during that time. And he saw people, regardless of background or status, uh, believe and understand the gospel. And so in this short letter... He spends the first three chapters highlighting God's amazing grace to sinners. Grace that makes us new, that gives us a new identity. A new identity that comes through our union with Jesus and unites us to a new people. And then he calls us in in chapters 4 through 6 to walk in light of that new identity. And part of walking in this new identity is pursuing the edification of the body, the building up. The growth of one another. And so this is what we are called to pursue in Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16. Pursue godly growth. Let's read chapter 4 of Ephesians verses 11 through 16. Hear the word of our Lord. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let us turn to the Lord and ask for His help as we seek to understand His Word this morning. O Lord, the earth is full of Your steadfast love. Father, we see it in in, in many places that we look in Your creation of this world. Lord, in Your creation of, of humans. Lord, in Your creation of this church. Lord, the the earth is full of your steadfast love. But Father, we desperately need to know your word, and so we pray that you would teach us this morning. Teach us what it means to pursue godly growth. And may you cause that to, to, to sprout up in our own hearts and in this church this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you growing? And I don't mean, are you growing physically? Or are you growing in in stature at your job? Or is your family growing? No, I mean, are you growing as a Christian? How do you know if you're growing? What are the things you're looking for? Where are you pursuing godly growth? How are you pursuing godly growth? Again, last week, Kelton used the phrase, change is inevitable, growth is optional. And that's true. We see it all the time in in the Bible and in our lives. But, But the Bible actually teaches even more than that. Not only is growth optional, but for the Christian, growth is expected. This is what we saw this morning in Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 6, 3, right? The the author of Hebrews is warning his recipients of the, the danger of not growing, Why is he doing that? Because it's expected. They should be eating solid food, but they they still are drinking milk. They should be teachers, but they, they still need to be taught. For Christians, godly growth is expected. This is what we ought to pursue. And I would venture that most of us know that. Most of us want to grow in godliness. But we wonder, how do we get there? How do we get from from point A, being saved by God's grace, to to sanctification, point B? And some of you maybe have been Christians for a long time. And even this morning might find yourself discouraged because you've been pursuing this kind of growth, but but aren't sure how far you've made it. You might be asking yourself, how much have I grown? What we see this morning is is not some six-step plan to be more godly. Not the the six ways for you to to, to be more righteous tomorrow. Not some burdensome measures. No, we know that those who are in Christ find rest. Yet even in that rest, we are called to pursue and grow in godliness. But how? Well, that's what our big idea attempts to answer this morning. Our one-sentence summary to to that question of how do we grow as Christians is this. By God's grace, patiently pursue Godly growth in His church. By God's grace, 
patiently pursue godly growth in his church. Christians are sanctified in the same way we are justified by God's grace. All our growth starts there. And it's not overnight. It takes years. In fact, we will be pursuing this kind of godly growth for the rest of our lives. But we don't pursue it on our own. No, we pursue it amongst other brothers and sisters. We pursue godly growth within God's church. So by God's grace, patiently pursue godly growth in His church. This morning, what we hope to see are six attributes of godly growth. Six attributes. And and hopefully as we consider these attributes, His grace will become clearer and the call to patiently pursue godly growth in His church will become clearer and we will be encouraged all the more to pursue that. Rather than giving all six at the beginning... We'll reveal each one as we move forward through our sermon, starting with our first attribute this morning, pursue by God's grace. Pursue by God's grace. Our pursuit of godly growth begins with God. It starts there. Note how the apostle begins in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. And he gave. And he gave. Gave. The he of verse 11 is the, the triumphant Christ. This is coming out of what Paul has just said in verses 7 through 10. So let's look up at those in, in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Paul says that the grace for edification, the grace for growth, comes through our victorious Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the the he in verse 11. And it's because Jesus descended. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, not for his own sins, but for our sins. And it's also because he has ascended, being raised from the dead, and now exalted to the right hand of God the Father, where he sits as king. And Paul says, because Christ has ascended, we have confidence that he now gives gifts to men. He gives grace to those who believe in Him that we might grow. The triumphant Christ empowers our pursuit of godliness by His grace. And He does this first by giving us new life by grace. He starts by giving us new hearts. This is what we need as we see in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that was now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead. Not physically, but spiritually. You were dead in your rebellion against God. You wanted nothing to do with the God of life. You were your own God, following the course of this fallen world. 
We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We need life. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul doesn't stop in Ephesians 2, verse 2. No, he continues in verse 4. Look there. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Paul will go on to call it a gift of God in verse 8. Gifts. Just as he's going to give us gifts for our growth, it starts with this first gift. Grace and salvation. What good news that when we were left to ourselves, we were dead, but God did not leave us to ourselves. He pursued us in Jesus Christ and made us alive together with him through grace. Not of our own works, but as a gift. And we receive this gift by repentance and faith. Turning from our sin and turning to rest holy with all that we have on Jesus Christ. God's grace gives us new life. You can grow, Christian, because you have been made new. And if you're here this morning and you've never truly received this grace in Christ, everything else you hear this morning will be meaningless. Because you can pursue in your own power all you want, but you will never grow in godliness apart from the grace of God. Dead things don't grow. Take it from me, I I kill all the plants I try to grow. They don't grow because they die very quickly when they're in my hands. Dead things don't grow. But God has not left us dead in our trespasses and sins. He has pursued us even when we were dead and made us alive through Christ. And so if you've not received this grace, receive it this morning. Trust in Jesus and turn from your sin. If that's you this morning, thank you for being here. Let me encourage you to talk with someone who's sitting next to you after the service. And know this grace. And Christian, if God is powerful enough to give dead hearts new life, He is powerful enough to cause you and I to grow. You know, I wonder if your pursuit of growth has been stunted because you don't think God is powerful enough to free you from the sins that so easily entangle us. You know, we implicitly think that God is able to save me, but not grow me. But friends, that's a mistaken view of our God. The the triumphant Christ not only gives us grace in new life, He gives us grace today to pursue growth. Hear Paul's prayer from Ephesians 3, verse 20, just a few verses above, above what we are reading now. Chapter 3, verse 20 in Ephesians, Paul writes this, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. I've always wondered why does Paul pray far more abundantly? Well, I think it's because our view of God's power is always so limited. But no, he can do far more abundantly than all that we would ask or think. And there is in fact power at work within every believer right now. The God who began a good work in you promises to bring it to completion. He gives grace not just to save, but but grace to empower us to grow. And to labor apart from that grace of God is to labor hopelessly. 
but to labor empowered by that grace is to pursue godly growth. And that's because ultimately God is the one who gives the growth. He's the one responsible for our growth. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, where Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Friends, that's where growth begins, with grace. It begins with God. We're often so foolish to think that having begun by the Spirit, we are now able to be perfected by the flesh. But that is not how we grow. We grow by God's grace. So how do you grow by God's grace? How do we pursue godly growth by God's grace? Well, we set our eyes upon Jesus. We live by faith, not relying on our works. It is Jesus who is our triumphant King, and it is He who now gives gifts to His church to equip us in our edification. And this leads us to our second attribute of pursuing godly growth. We pursue not only by God's grace, but we pursue by hearing God's word. What are the gifts that the triumphant Christ gives to his church here in Ephesians 4? I think there are many gifts that Christ gives to his church. You can look and look around scripture and see in in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, many gifts that Christ gives to his church. But here in Ephesians 4, what are the gifts God gives through Christ? They're people. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. God gives people. And more particularly, they are leaders in God's church who minister God's word privately, personally, and publicly. Quickly, we see first the the apostles. They were the authoritative recipients of God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus. They were those who saw the resurrected Jesus. And many of them God used to, to write the New Testament, that that we might have this account of Jesus and his church. Even Paul is an apostle writing here Ephesians for our benefit even now. There are prophets. Prophets were the, the authoritative speakers of God's word. Those like Agabus in Acts 11 who, who prophesied of a famine so that the church might act to, to bless the, the church in Judea. They were sent to confirm God's word, leading the people of God to rightly discern and trust God's word. So you have first the apostles and the prophets. And while Christians can disagree on this, I would argue that there, there are no longer any apostles and prophets. That, that their work and ministry came to an end when, with the completed state of God's word. But that their work and ministry still serves the church through his word even today. We can pursue growth by hearing God's word and know that we can trust it because God gave us apostles and prophets for our edification. But the victorious Christ also gives us more. He, he gives us the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. The evangelists are those who, who are focused on proclaiming the gospel of, of Christ. They build the body both internally as we are reminded of the gospel, but also externally as more and more join the body through the work of an evangelist. The shepherds, 
or, or pastors, if your Bible has a little note there, it might say down below that, that pastors is another way of, of translating shepherd. These are, these are those who nurture, care, protect the sheep through the, the ministry of God's word. It is what we call elders, pastors, overseers. These are, these are all shepherds. They're teaching and equipping the people of God to do work of ministry. And finally, teachers. These are those who teach God's word. They explain and apply God's word to God's people. So this can include pastors and preachers and does and should. But it's also Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, Bible study leaders. These are all gifts from the triumphant Christ to his church. And so to pursue godly growth is to give ourselves to the ministry of God's word, to hear it privately, personally, and publicly. To pursue godly growth is to make use of the gifts God has given. To read God's word privately. To hear what the apostles and the prophets of God have declared. But it's also to open ourselves up to the ministry, the personal ministry of God's word. To allow shepherds and pastors of this church to equip you. To seek them out. To ask them questions about God's word that that you might be confused on. To pursue their advice and counsel from God's word. We also should commit ourselves to the, the public ministry of God's word. This looks like attending whenever we can the the public ministry of the word, starting with, with this morning gathering, which you are all here this morning. It means coming ready to hear God's word taught, reading it the night beforehand, praying, asking God to teach you through his word the next morning. It also means doing our best to go to, to Sunday school, to hear other teachers teach God's word. To do our best to to come on Wednesday nights for for Bible study. To do our best to attend small groups. To committing ourselves. To finding wherever opportunities we can to hear the word of God taught publicly. These are ways that we pursue godly growth. Friends, often our pursuit of growth can be stunted when we cut ourselves off from the word of God. Just like a plant's growth is stunted when it is not watered, we too are stunted in our growth when we are not watered with God's word. And God has given to every local church his word and leaders who can help us pursue godly growth through hearing the word. He's given them to his church, which leads us to the the third attribute this morning of a pursuit of godly growth. Pursue through the church. Pursue through the church. Quite simply, brothers and sisters, I think most often our pursuit of godly growth is stunted or hampered because we cut ourselves off from the body of Christ. We pursue godly growth on our own rather than through the church, the means by which God has given us. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians 4. Why has the triumphant Christ given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ? Paul will go on in verse 16 to talk about how the whole body grows when every joint, every member is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
How is the body built up, according to Paul? It's through the work of other saints. Friends, you need others. I need you. We see this, not just because Paul says it, but in the, the, even the illustration he uses to, to describe the church. The church is like a body. It's a group of diverse parts, yet one body. And not to be too graphic, but what happens when a body part is separated from the rest of the body? Does it just grow into another person? No. It dies. And it doesn't take long. I was reading this week that that you only have 12 hours to, to reattach a finger that gets separated before it becomes useless. And the time is shorter as you move further up your arm. It gets shorter and shorter the time you have to reattach. So too, brothers and sisters, when a Christian is separated from a church, it doesn't take long for our growth to be hampered or stunted or stopped. Because we weren't designed to grow on our own. And that's what Paul describes here in in Ephesians 4. And and he describes more than just coming on a a Sunday morning to, to watch and listen. That would be like the arm showing up to breakfast and just saying... I'm here to watch. Figure out how you get that fork to your mouth. It's, it's abundantly foolish. No, the saints are, are actually participating in the work. We need the hand. We need the, the mouth. We need the nose. We need the eyes. We need every part of the body. The illustration and the urge of the apostle reveals something about the church. We are to be a group of Christians who have committed to one another to help one another grow. It's what we call membership. See, when you join in membership here at Stafford Baptist, you're, you're becoming a part of our body. You become a nose or a hand or a foot. And what I mean by that is you become a very necessary part. And all the other members become a very necessary part for you. It may not be obvious right away, but this is a main way in how we grow. One author, using the illustration of an acorn, describes it this way. Acorns don't become oaks overnight. They grow because they stay in the soil, stay in the sun, and soak up regular rain. Christians are the same way. We grow by staying in the soil of spiritual community. Feeding on the nutrients of God's word, being renewed by the spirit among us, gathering together around the gospel on Sundays or any other day is the main way God grows us. Plowing, sowing, watering, and weeding are never spectacular activities. Neither is a room full of Christians on an average weekend or a weary week night. Yet full orchards and mature Christians rise and ripen from such wise repetition. We grow by God's grace through His church. By consistently showing up, by staying in the soil of spiritual community. It's not spectacular. It's often hard. We're sinners getting in the way of one another. But mature Christians rise and ripen from such wise repetition. Eventually, acorns develop into beautiful large oak trees. Now you might say, why do I need the body? 
when I have a personal relationship with, with Jesus. It's me and Jesus. I can read my Bible. I can listen to and sing Christian songs at home. I can pray. And praise God. We can and should do all those things and more personally and privately. But whose body are we according to Paul in verse 12? Look down there. For the building up the body of Christ. Friends, to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but to want nothing to do with his body, reveals we actually don't have a full grasp of who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, don't cut yourself off from the body of Christ. I've seen it far too often in the life of those around me. When they stop giving priority to gathering with other Christians from committing themselves to other believers, they stop growing. See, when you feel yourself struggling to grow and you feel more and more sin beginning to entangle you, don't step further away from the body. Press in. Invite someone to get coffee with you. Invite someone over to dinner. Go to small groups. You know, when we're, when we're not growing, we're tempted to, to isolate. But that's when we need the body the most. This doesn't mean that this church or another gospel preaching church are are full of of perfect people who will always do good and never hurt you. I'm sure some of you here today have experienced or know someone who has experienced hurt within the church. And that's awful. But it is expected. We are a room of sinners, a group of sinners trying, struggling to pursue godly growth together. And it's even through those experiences of hurt that we can grow in godliness. Friends, our goal is to to move from child to maturity. And Paul says that we do that through the saints equipping and and, and doing the work of ministry with one another. That leads us to our next attribute of, of a pursuit of godly growth. Pursue by knowing our aim. Pursue by knowing our aim. In my last semester of, of college, I knew I was about to, to get married, and I, I wanted to be in, in good shape for the wedding day. So I set my aim to be able to fit into my tux. And this aim affected how I lived. It meant I went to bed earlier so I could get to gym, the gym before classes began. It meant I ate better, generally, for a college kid. It meant I played less video games and did more physical activities. Knowing my aim helped my pursuit. Friends, the same is true for the pursuit of godly growth. We need to know our aim. And our aim is not merely behavioral change. It's not just to be good people. It does include growth in godliness. It includes growth in in godly character. But that cannot be and is not our only aim. Because If that is, it will produce only Pharisees and not disciples. So what is our true aim? We'll look at verses 13 and 14 with me of Ephesians 4. So again, the the, the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. If you haven't noticed yet, this is really just one long sentence Paul is writing that we're breaking up. Verse 13, until, right, this is what they're working towards, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What is our aim? Well, it's summarized in two words, I think. 
Unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. First, unity. It's unity in the faith, right? That's what Paul says there in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Even this aim helps us understand the need of the church in our pursuit of godliness. Where is the unity seen? It's seen most clearly in this group of believers committing themselves together, fighting for unity. It's what Paul calls the the church in Ephesus to do. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity that was purchased by Jesus at the cross is now our goal to maintain. The unity that He accomplished by tearing down the wall of hostility that those from every cultural background and status and ethnicity might be made one through faith in Jesus Christ is now our goal to maintain in this body. Well, how does that aim affect how we live and pursue? Well, it should lead us to participate in the body of Christ. Friends, you can't have unity with a body if you are not a part of a body. So friends, if you're here and you're not a member of a, of a church, let me encourage you to commit yourself and, and to do so soon. Because to grow in godliness is to grow in unity with other believers. In church, let me encourage you that if you feel maybe on the the outsides of this body, press in. Don't wait for others to come to you. Press into this body. Fight for unity with your brothers and sisters. If you know maybe that one of your relationships with another member has become cold, don't let it stay there. Pursue them and eagerly seek to maintain unity. So one of our aims And growing in godliness is unity with the body. But it's not just unity, it's maturity. And how do we grow in maturity? Well, I think it's through the knowledge of the Son of God. The aim of our growth is that we may not be like children, easily tossed by waves, but that we would grow in maturity. Why don't we let our children wade into the ocean by themselves? Because they're not stable enough. They can't discern the strong currents that are, that are underneath. They, they can't discern how hard a wave will hit them. And so on their own, they will be sucked out into the ocean. So too, in, in Christian life, as young Christians, we are easily deceived. We can at times have a hard time knowing what is true and what is false. How to discern the truth. But Paul says we are not to remain children. Instead, we are to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is our aim. The measure we use as we pursue maturity is the, the fullness of Christ. Our aim in godly growth is Christ-likeness in maturity. We are to move from babies to adults. right? We are to move, as Hebrews 5 says, from, from nursing milk to solid food, to leave the elementary and to go on to the maturity. We are to move from acorns to baby oak trees to the big, grand oak trees. As one commentator wrote, we enter the Christian life as babies, but we are to grow through the Word and become disciple-making teachers. We are not to remain as those who need to be taught, but we grow into those who should be teaching. 
Is that your aim, brother and sister, this morning? If so, what are you doing to reach it? How are you growing? How has that changed and, and, and affected your pursuit of godly growth? And if it's not your aim, what, what are some false aims that you're aiming towards? Friends, let me encourage you that, that we need to be aware. We need to be mature. so that Because not everything we hear said about religion, about God, or Jesus is true. We need to know what is true. We are to grow from children into maturity. But we don't do this on our own. Right? No. Paul continues, we, we grow in our understanding with others as we speak the truth in love, which is, in fact, our next attribute of a pursuit of godly growth. Pursue by speaking the truth in love. Pursue by speaking the truth in love. The Apostle Paul is explicit here. We grow by speaking the truth in love. Look at verse 15. Rather, so, so rather than being, being like children tossed to and fro, Rather, we are to, we, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. It is as we speak the truth in love that we are able to pursue godly growth. It's by speaking the truth in love to one another rather than speaking false truths and deceiving schemes. We can break this down a little bit. First, we are told here to speak the truth. Right? We are, we are to speak gospel truth that equips and causes us to grow into Christ. And that's in contrast with the, the deceiving schemes that carry us this way or that way. We are to, to speak the truth. But it's not just what we say, it's actually how we say it. We must speak the truth, but speak it in love. At times we can speak the truth to one another, true things, but we do so in an unloving manner. That is not how we are to speak to one another, Paul says. No, we we must hold both truth and love as vital for pursuing godliness in the Christian life. So, brothers and sisters, how often have you watered down the truth because it is offensive How often have we watered down the truth because we want to be accepted? Take care to be loving. Don't be offensive for offensive sake, but out of love for one another, boldly speak the truth in love. And this kind of work takes deep, committed relationships. To be able to speak in love and be heard well takes an assumption that that you are for me, that we've committed to one another to, to do one another good. I can speak truth into my children's lives much more easily when they know that I love them, that I'm there for them, that I'm seeking their good. Well, friends, when's the last time you spoke the truth in love to someone in in this church? This week? Last week? Last month? Last year? Ever? We are to speak the truth in love, and this, this could look like doing it for their encouragement. So maybe this week you spoke the truth in love by reminding our sister Gertrude of the hope of the resurrection at Franklin's funeral. But we also speak the truth in love to be corrective. Sometimes we have to correct a false belief or a sinful act with another member. 
But Paul is clear here. We, we can and we must speak the truth in a loving way. And it's as we do this, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. But as we know, bodies don't grow quickly. They take time, which leads us to our final attribute of a pursuit of godly growth. Pursue with patience. The sixth attribute of godly growth, pursue with patience. Our final attribute is one that I think is more implied in the text, particularly in the the illustration of the body. So if the church is like a body, then I think one application of that is that the church and the individual members of it grow at the pace of a body. And most bodies do not grow overnight. It takes years, between 14 to 20 years for for bodies to, to fully develop. And even as our bodies fully develop, In 14 to 20 years, our brains take 25, 26 years to fully develop. And even longer for our emotional maturity. Growth demands patience. Growth demands patience. Yet we've all felt the impatience of of wanting to grow quickly. Right? My son wants to grow quickly so he can get the snacks out of the, the snack drawer up at the top. We want to grow quickly. But brothers and sisters, you, I, will never be perfect in this life. Sanctification, the pursuit of godly growth, is a lifelong process. One that won't be brought to completion until the day of Jesus' bodily return when we will all be glorified. We see this throughout the Bible. You can think of Jacob, whose story we've been considering in the the book of Genesis His pursuit of growth was often marked by by high mountaintops, followed almost immediately by low valleys. Up, down, back, forth. It took almost 20 plus years for Jacob to to reconcile with his brother, which should be one of the most closest relationships. took 20 plus years to reconcile with. Growth takes patience. We see it not just in Jacob, but in, in the New Testament. We can think of the apostle Peter who walked with Jesus for three years, only to deny Him three times, who after seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ, had to be corrected by the Apostle Paul. Up, down, back, forth. Friends, this is the path of pursuing godliness, ones of twists and turns, ups and downs. But God uses all those things to help us grow in godliness. So have patience. Growth demands patience because we are not the author of our growth. Look at at verses 15 and 16. Particularly at the end of verse 15. Right? We're, We're being built up into Christ, our head. And what do we see? From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. From whom is the whole body equipped to grow? From Jesus, the Son of God, the Exalted One. He is the one who gives grace, and He is the author of our growth. And something we know about the Lord is that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. God is the author of our growth, and so we need patience. What might seem like a long time in our view is merely a few minutes in the view of our God. This means we need to take the long view when it comes to our pursuit of godliness. 
If you've been a Christian for the, the last 40 years, don't just look back in the last 40 hours. No, look back all 40 years. How have you grown in godliness? If you've been a Christian in the last 20 years, look back 20 years. How have you grown in godliness? 10 years, how have you grown in godliness? See, rather than, than focusing on how little has changed in the last 24 hours or the, the last month, take the long view. There's a reason kids only go to the doctor once a year to get a checkup on height, weight, etc. Because if they went every day, the changes would be unnoticeable. Friends, the same is true of our godly growth. In 24 hours, the changes seem unnoticeable. But in 24 years, we'll have a much better picture. Take the long view in your pursuit of godly growth. Now, you might be tempted... Well, if I'm going to take the long view, it doesn't really matter what I do today. But I want to warn against that. Don't just take the long view, but be consistent today. In the the Christian life, consistency and repetition is key. The body needs to be working together. It's a daily struggle for us to trust God and turn from our sin. Listen to how this author describes that struggle. He writes this. Faith and repentance are daily disciplines. Turning from sinful desires in faith today doesn't mean that the problem will be gone tomorrow. For us, the battle is made up of thousands of little moments, choices between self and service. Friends, the battle to pursue godly growth is is made up in those thousands of little choices. Not just the one choice, but thousands of little choices. And brothers and sisters, these daily choices that we're all faced with are are not made in our own strength, right? They they are made only as God gives grace. We have hope as we pursue godly growth. For if we are in Christ, we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. In the life we now live in the flesh, we live in the Son of God who loved us. And gave himself for us. Friends, this is what we remember when we come to partake in the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in just a few moments. That it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Therefore, we live by faith. Because Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us on the cross, rising again, that we might be able to pursue godly growth. So friends, this week, let us pursue godly growth by God's grace. Let us pursue godly growth by hearing God's word privately, personally, and publicly. Let us pursue godly growth through the church. Let us pursue godly growth by knowing our aim. Let us pursue godly growth by speaking the truth in love. And let us pursue godly growth with patience, knowing that while it will take a lifetime, godly growth is possible Because of Christ's death and resurrection. Like an acorn buried in a field, consistently pursuing godly growth this way isn't impressive. Until one day, it is. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the assurance that we have 
that your work of salvation is finished. That it was finished upon the cross as we have sung. And that in Christ's finished work, not only does he, gives us, does he give us grace for new life, he gives us every grace to pursue godly growth. Lord, thank you for the the freedom that we know in Jesus. Freedom from striving for our own salvation. Freedom to live in your grace and pursue godly growth. Father, we pray that we would be a a body that strives even this week to pursue godly growth. That all glory may be to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.